Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Listeners, this is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. If you want to find out more about us, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. And most weeks we put up a press release. It's often a comment on the events of the week before. And we're up to press release 713. The Gonski panel has been chosen. And the question is, will public schools be adequately represented? They weren't adequately represented on the Schools Commission and they were dudded. They weren't adequately represented on Gonski 1.0 and they were dudded. Is the same thing going to happen again? Now, the businessman, David Gonski much beloved of Mr Turnbull because he's actually given him a a bit of a win. He's going to lead a panel of eight educators and policy experts, so-called, in a nine-month look at how to ensure the boost in resources leads to better students' results. The actual boost that Mr Turnbull has given is, of course, not enough. We all know that. Uh, and the way the funding has already been decided on, 2080, 80% for the private schools from the Commonwealth is not adequate either. But with inadequate resources, Mr Gonski is going to be asked to uh, make it a bit fairer, we assume. So he's going to reunite with the former New South Wales and South Australian public education boss, Ken Boston. And he was part of the original Gonski panel that recommended the so-called needs-based funding model of the Gillard government. Now, Ken Boston is a very interesting person, and Robert has his own opinions on Ken Boston. I first met him in the 1980s when he was uh, wandering around Ballarat, compromising himself and getting on very nicely, thank you, with the Catholic Education Officers up in uh, Ballarat. And we all know what was going on in Ballarat in the 1980s. But um, Mr Gonski, like Mr... Uh, sorry, Mr Boston, like Mr Gonski, is a very successful Mandarin. Courtier, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they've got survival value. But in latter days, Ken Boston has been a public education advocate. He certainly was that when he was in New South Wales. And uh, my memory is that when he was the New South Wales um, Director of Public Education, he was prepared to put state schools or great schools on every public school in New South Wales. Uh, Robert, what do you think of Mr Boston? Uh, He's an interesting character. Um, I do agree He he is a courtier. Um, when it comes to the formulation of education policy, politicians in Australia today um, seem to be uniquely lacking in courage of any sort. So when it comes to doing things, they tend to farm out the responsibility of policy development um, and usually do it two or, three, two or three times in a row, usually over 15 years, education policy being one example. And they farm it out to um, safe pairs of hands, people who aren't going to rock the boat too much. Uh, Ken Boston has proved to be this. He was part of the original Gonski panel. And, of course, he's been invited back on the second Gonski panel. Um, he, as Jean has mentioned, in the 80s, he was doing certain things. And as, and as the Director General, I think, of in Education in New South Wales, he was a state school advocate. More recently, though, in Victoria, um, when the state government decided that they were going to fund all Catholic schools 
a 25% um, state funding level uh, matched with what they were giving to uh, public schools, um, Ken Boston refused to sit on the same stage as the education minister. Um, he thought that what that was was the opposite of what Gonski was about, and he was right. Um, because the state government, uh, when Andrews first got in, one of their first bits of legislation was to give the Catholic education system um, a large chunk of money and in an undeserved methodology, which is to say they just get the money no matter what, whether they need it or whether they don't. Uh, Boston said this is the opposite of Gonski. This is a waste of taxpayers' money, and anyone who makes these decisions, I'm not going to stand on the same stage. So at a certain point... And this is interesting because we'll come, come back to this. Both the man Gonski and the man Boston, after they had completed their jobs as mandarins, as, as courtiers to power in developing the Gonski Review, stepped back and actually started saying things um, as, as private citizens. Um, and Boston, as a private citizen, was a, a staunch um, advocate of, of the state school system. Um, now they're back on the panels. Now they're back being courtiers. Uh, their language is far more circumspect. Um, most of the people who go onto the panels, and we'll, I'll be talking about the um, people on the new panel, or at least a couple of them, yes, we in terms of their backgrounds, um, uh, they become very circumspect uh, because that's how you get the job in the first place. Um, indeed, that's how you get your Australian honours at the end of the thing as well. This, um, of course, is and that's And that's indeed how you get on the next panel. Um, you can't continue to work as a courtier uh, to what we loosely call democracy here in Australia or courtier to power if you go around rocking the boat and come up with findings which are at odds um, with those which are implied um, by your erstwhile masters because, of course, courtiers have to have masters and the masters are the politicians. Um, it's a complex thing, uh, how, how power reacts. But Boston himself, as a private citizen, has been a strong advocate for state schools. It would be interesting to, to see, um, now he's been placed again um, on the Gonski 2.0 panel, if his views um, are, are seen through. I, I hope and suggest that they might be. Because now, in Gonski 2.0, or whatever they call it, there is much more of a climate, much more of a climate for significant change for the better because the Australian education system is not in good shape and it needs, actually, revolutionary overhaul. Um, and Boston, I think, would know this and it might be an opportunity for his views in terms of support for state schools to be, to be seen through. I know it's a very long-winded and probably circumspect answer, Jane, because <laughs> I can't see into the future, but Boston's an interesting fellow. He's been up and down and around the traps, so I don't know, for what it's worth, that's what I reckon. Yes, yes, I find it very interesting. Uh, the fact that he refused to stay, be on the same platform as Molino uh, in a Labor Party wouldn't have done him any uh, harm with uh, Mr Birmingham when he was prepared to take on the Catholic Education Officers. Mm -hmm. So uh, all very interesting. But um, Ken Boston is only one of them. The next one that's been put on... Uh, is a lady called Lisa O'Brien. She's been the Chief Executive Officer of the Smith Family, which is a charity. It regards children who are disadvantaged as objects of charity. Um, and they, do, they have done a good job in the past. The Smith Family was set up by the New South Wales Teachers Federation, I think, many years ago. It was. But it's been, uh, it's been uh, really... Uh, expanded since then, and um, she has been the chief, ex the CEO, the chief executive officer since February 2011. She was a medical practitioner who's registered in New South Wales and a fellow of the Royal Australian College of Medical Administrators. She also holds a Masters of Business Administration and a Masters of Human Resource Management and Coaching. Uh, she's worked in leadership roles. Uh, this is what I'm told on her, um, her uh, LinkedIn thing. Uh, in, across the public, not-for-profit and commercial sectors for the last 20 years. She's a non-executive director of the Community Council for Australia and BUPA Australia and New Zealand. She's a member of the Chief Executive Women and former CEO of the Skin and Cancer Foundation Australia. She was also a founding member of Sydney Lou's Place, a drop-in centre providing respite and support 
for women in need. She sounds like an interesting character, but she's got some equally interesting uh, people that she consorts with on the Smith family, Robert. It is interesting. Um, Actually, her role in the Smith family has also included, I mean, that's her bio in terms of where she's come from, and there's very little in terms of educational background, apart apart from the fact she's got an MBA. And um, all those listeners out there who have an MBA, you know an MBA has almost nothing to do with education. Um, Where did she go to school and where did her children go to school would be more relevant. Well, that would be, and of course, you know, that, that information is sometimes available, but, but not, not always. Not obviously. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm not particularly interested in Dr. Lisa O'Brien's children. I don't, I don't think the dogs program would be apart from, in fact, um, the decision she made, makes in terms of um, educational outcomes. But she's actually, as part of the Smith family, um, been involved, obviously, in a charity and has actually, over the last five years, um, driven a plan to grow the, effect, the effectiveness and reach of the Smith family in terms of education-oriented programs. And that's specifically designed for the support of disadvantaged children and young people in educational settings. So it sounds like she's a relatively newcomer um, to the education field, and she's doing it through from, from the point of view of the Smith family and disadvantaged children. Um, not quite sure if that qualifies her on an expert reference panel to, to develop policy for the entire nation in terms of education. Um, and she's obviously quite well, well connected. I don't know the woman. I've never met her. Um, I'm sure if I do, we'll have a chat and I can, I can give you a, probably a more personal um, uh, summary. But um, in terms of sheer expertise, she doesn't seem to have a great deal, um, although she does deal with disadvantaged student, children, but she deals with it in a charitable sense. And here at the Dogs, we have a very firm view on when it comes to educational disadvantage and charity. Um, supporting children in their education is not a charitable act. It is an act of a civilised nation. It's got nothing to do with an aggressive act of charity. Yes, there are people in need, and yes, we should give to people in need, but we collectively, functionally, as a civilised nation, need to address those things as they happen, before they happen, and when they finished happening. Um, so I certainly hope that anything to do with the Gonski Review about how we actually support and fund our education system in Australia does not devolve into the language of charitable acts for poor children, because charitable acts for poor children is damning them from the out. Um, Civilised countries aren't that stupid And I certainly hope we won't be as well But I don't know um, We don't know, the jury's out We're just giving a little bit of background on the deciders The people who've been put in a corner To make the decisions because the politicians aren't willing to um, Yes, well, let's continue, shall we? Um, Terry Arcus, he's the next guy Now, this he is interesting He is, actually Yeah, Terry Arcus um, has developed a career as a strategic advisor to, of all things, CEOs and boards of major public and private companies for the last 40 years. He's, he's, I think he's of an age, uh, Gonski, and I would imagine he would be a, a contemporary of Gonski. Yeah. They, they, they would know each other. I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine uh, between the two of them, being good Sydney boys, um, living down on the harbour, um, it would be surprising if they hadn't come across each other before. Now, uh, he divides his time between his advisory practice and contributing to the community via pro bono advisory roles and philanthropic roles in education, in medical research and the arts. And he was elected as chairman of the board of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra in mid-2015. Now, what's his education? This is very interesting. It is, isn't it? He North enjoyed, Sydney um, Boys. Yeah. North Sydney Boys High he went to. Yeah. Did his leaving certificate at North Sydney mm-hmm. Boys High, so is in my sort of uh, age range, I suppose. Mm-hmm. He ranked highly in the state of New South Wales at that time, and he got a scholarship from Sir William Tyree, which supported him through the University of Sydney. He graduated with first class honours in electrical engineering and science. Then he won the R.G. Menzies Scholarship to Harvard University, a Sydney University Travelling Scholarship and a Fulbright Scholarship that enabled graduate study at Harvard Business School, where he graduated with distinction at the age of 24. Now, Terry, this is him talking. His superb public education, his receipt of financial assistance and the support of his family benefited Terry in creating unimagined opportunities and this has substantially influenced his desire to give back to the community now that he's able to do so by contributing his own efforts and personal philanthropic resources. Now, isn't that interesting? 
Um, he himself describes himself as having a superb public education and he mm-hmm. acknowledges, he actually specifically acknowledges the financial assistance and support he got from taxpayers-funded subsidised scholarships. Mm-hmm. Now, when he talks about substantially giving back um, and his desire to do so, he's not talking about it in terms of a charitable act. No. And this is a fundamental, and this actually, you often get this, I'm sure you will understand, Jane, and I'm interested to hear your opinions. You get this from Australians of middling means who have had an opportunity through the state school system and have made good. I understand this very well. Mm. Having, I'm, I'm really in this kind of category, I suppose you might say, myself. I was given every opportunity uh, in the post-war 1950s, 60s period uh, and um, we were just so lucky. We were the pre-war babies that had to educate the post-war babies and the sky was the limit for us. We were treated very well. Now at a certain point when you came out of university and you were confronted with um, a class structure, because there is a class structure in Australia, you had to make a choice, particularly if you came from a selective high school. You had to decide whether or not you would be a servant of the wealthy in Sydney of the northern and eastern suburbs, a servant of those people, and work for them and give them what they wanted from your brains, because you didn't have capital yourself, or you could work for those who were less fortunate than yourself. Now, in the generation before me, you had two men who actually sat on the High Court. One of them was Barwick, who was from Fort Street High School, Selective High School, and the other one was Lionel Murphy. Where did you go to school, Jane? I went to Fort Street. Oh, okay. Your your, your alma mater and his too. Yep, yep. Now, Barwick decided to become the servant of the wealthy and powerful. And as a High Court judge, <coughs> some of his judgments, particularly in the tax cases, certainly served the wealthy. And he also stopped the nationalisation of the banks in the Menzies government. Murphy, on the other hand, lost a brother called Keith uh, to a very sad disease and uh, that upset him greatly but he came back from that to decide that he was going to do what his brother would have done which was to service the poorer people in the community. So Lionel Murphy and Barwick to me always represented the choice you make. Now it's interesting that this Terry Arcus has been given every opportunity which this country had to give him and he appears to be making the choice that he will support those who are less advantaged than himself. Yeah. Um, as not, not as a matter of charity, but as a matter no, of... No, no, but, but, but as a matter giving of, back. But a matter of debt being paid. In fact, your duty. In fact, this Terry fellow is even more interesting. I mean, here I am. I'm really talking from afar. I do not know this man personally, and I'm just working on what information he has made publicly available on himself. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about gossip or scurrilous this or, or anything like that. This is just, and he just seems like a very interesting fellow. Now, um, he has three children, um, and he returned to Sydney to put them in high school there. Mm-hmm. don't know which high school, but I would imagine, um, I would imagine um, it will potentially have been a public high school because he has seemed to have strong views. Now, in terms of his giving and his views, because it's very important, anyone who is responsible for developing education policy in Australia, I think, has to have a mindset that a goal seven education is a right of every child born here. It's not a question of what is, you know, uh, if you can afford to buy a Mercedes and if you can't get, get yourself a Corolla. It's, 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 not a, it's not a gradated thing. Education and the marketplace don't go together. And anyone who's involved in education policy, I think, needs to have that very firmly in their mind. Now, when it comes to his, his giving, giving back, it's rather interesting. He says, rather than serve on boards that conflict with my potential advisory practice as a, as a businessman, he has actually developed a practice supporting his community just by conducting pro bono assignments for major non-for-profit enterprises. So he has given his labour for free, um, you know, quite, quite substantially, an expert labour for free, rather than sit on boards. He's Be- a free spirit. Indeed. And also, he says he prefers to be involved personally rather than just support his community interest with just the money. So he puts himself in there. Um, I know a lot of lawyers do this, but not a lot of businessmen do. Um, and it's interesting that his, his giving back, he sees um, as, as a 
paying a debt personally by using using somehow his money, or sometimes his money, I'm sure, but also his skills. But he doesn't want to sit on boards. He doesn't want to sit on boards because the conflicts of interest for a man in his, his position um, he thinks would be untenable. Now, in the Australian context, that's unusual. That sort of high-minded ethical practice in the Australian business community I won't say it's unique, but it is highly unusual. So this is a fellow to watch, and I think we shall. He seems like a very interesting member of the board of the new Gonski panel. They're putting a panel together to redesign educational funding practices in Australia, and we're going through a list of all the people who are involved in this process. Um, I think it's probably useful to say, because last time we examined David Gonski in any detail, that was some time ago, and when we did, he wasn't in a position of power and influence, which he's now been placed by the Liberal government. Mm. And bear in mind that David Gonski himself um, was first appointed by a Labor government. Mm. The first appointment was actually by the, the then Education Minister, Julia Gillard, who gave him the job of setting up a Gonski review. This time around, he's been appointed by the Liberal government, which just goes to show his skill as a courtier is mm. consummate. He has created an air about himself that indicates that he is apolitical and that seems to have stuck whether it's true or not is, is a question but <coughs> he's given that impression and it's stuck so both Gillard and Birmingham have appointed him one time and another to sort out the Australian education system we'll be detailing a little bit more about Mr Gonski um, I think after a little bit of music
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the www's. Um, oh, obviously, 3cr.org.au, if you're listening to us through the W's, it's nice to have your company. Um, and, of course, if you're listening in your car or at home or on your radio, it's also good to have your company here on 3CR. Um, we're discussing the makeup of the new Gonski panel. Gonski 2.0 or whatever it is um, that people want to call it. But there is a new panel which will report in March 2018 um, and it will report on how, basically, how Australians can finally sort out their education funding system. <laughs> well, if we all live in, we live in hope, even if we die in despair. Yes. And we've been going through in detail, also in some detail, not a great deal, in some detail about who the people are who are on this panel. Now, I'd just like to sort of go back to Mr Gonski before we, can, before we continue because Mr Gonski himself is central to this process. Now, Mr Gonski describes himself as a courtier to power. This isn't a pejorative that we use here as in, in our polemic here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. No, he describes himself as a courtier. I heard him speak um, when he launched his biography. Um, I heard him speak when he wasn't of consequence, or wasn't of significant consequence in the education debate. In the years between the first and, and now this second Gonski report, and People weren't really interested in his book launch and who he was. They were still interested in, in the whole education debate. And um, they asked him, you know, what, what, what was the purpose and, and does he feel hopeful that, that it will be implemented and all that sort of stuff. And he said something that, to my mind, um, this, this, this is in a public sphere, he said something to my mind was deeply, deeply informative. He said in his travels around Australia, when he was formulating the very first Gonski Review, he saw great disadvantage he saw great sadness. He saw children's, children's situations where educational opportunities were not just being missed, they were being trashed. He saw terrible things happening. And Boston also, and any other, any other panel members had done so. And he saw his, his role was that as a courtier, and a courtier sometimes, but not always, has the opportunity to speak truth to power. And what he saw in his own mind was so serious that he needed to speak truth to power, and the metaphor that he used was of the French Revolution. Mm. The metaphor that he used, being a man of some, some not inconsiderable classical education, the thing that he thought Australian education, the best way to describe it would be France, just before the French Revolution. Mm. And he said, if the courtiers had spoken to the king and said, do you realise how bad things are out there? You really do need to do something. If the courtiers had had the courage to speak to the king, then there wouldn't have been a French Revolution and, wasn't, you know, and wouldn't that have been a good thing? <laughs> and in his own mind, and in his own mind, he said it was his job to speak truth to power at this special time because things were so bad out there. And it, it not... Not just absolutely bad, but relatively bad. The disparity between what the rich and the poor in Australia could expect from their education system was so wide, that gap was so wide, that something had to be done or the peasants would revolt. The peasants would revolt and bad things would happen. They've been revolting for some time. And at that time, and this is, this is well before um, the election in America, he was prophesying that in America in particular, you will get... The, 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 the normal business of state, the normal business of business itself, would be disrupted because the people had actually had enough, both in Australia and around the world. And this is before Brexit. This is before the rise of Donald Trump in America. I mean, this was while we had you know, Tony Abbott as, as a radical right-wing prime minister here in Australia. He was prophesying that unless something was done to the education system, there would be riots in the streets and that was why he wrote the Gonski review the way he did and his disappointment and he, he, and he was very careful in the way he expressed this of course and I don't want to put words in his mouth because he's a very careful speaker in this regard he said that um, perhaps the progress uh, towards um, an equitable way of dealing with education was going slower than he hoped <laughs> um, it was to that effect I mean he, he wasn't but yeah, he wasn't sort of too strident about what had or had not happened. But he did frame what he wrote. He did frame what he said in terms of there will be riots in the streets unless you do something. 
focus. And also, in contrast, since, since that time, of course, we've discovered that other countries around the world have learnt this lesson. And other countries around the world are doing something. Australia is not, and so-called we, internationally, are now falling behind in our education system. So that's just a little anecdote about my personal experiences with Mr Gonski. But he's a North Shore boy. He comes from a reasonably wealthy family in Sydney. Ex-grammar school boy. Ex-grammar school boy. And he talks about the sacrifices his parents made to give him a private school education. And he values them for that. Friend of Turnbull. Friend of Turnbull, son of a doctor. He did quite well for himself um, in business, in, in, in private enterprise. But his now main function is, is he is, as opposed to his friend, his, his friend Terry, um, he is a board sitter. Um, his business, he, he, in his view, does not preclude him from sitting on various boards. and um, Quite a few of them. Quite a few of them, indeed. And now he's been brought back by a Liberal government to sort it all out again. Um, so... Well, we know what he did the first time. Uh, we know what he's likely to do the second time. But as Jean quite rightly said, it is the overall makeup of this new panel that's rather interesting. The reason I'm so interested is that I had to live through, first of all, the schools commissions, the various schools commissions, which were loaded against the public schools. And the people who were representing the public schools were accommodating for too long until 1984, and then we had to, to live through the uh, school board, the state school board here in Victoria. Uh, these are uh, quangos of some sort. They're there to do the will in the end of the politicians and to hose down unrest. Uh, I don't know whether Mr Gonski can hose down the unrest. We'll see. Oh, I, but I I'm interested I in the numbers. Think, Jane, it's impossible. Because the funding package that's been decided will be rolled out in January 2018 oh. and the findings of this new Gonski panel will come out in March 2018. Oh. So the money will be allocated before Gonski has had his findings. Oh. So that tells you something to start with. That tells you how serious this whole, this, this whole process is. But um, let's talk about, we've talked a bit about the individuals. Let's talk about the overall makeup of this new Gonski panel, shall we? Well, I want to talk about the next lot of individuals because yes. I'm very interested in the numbers. It's not completely as bad as the Schools Commission was. That was loaded definitely against the uh, public school interests. We've talked about in detail about these people who in fact appear to be neither public or private in their, in their practice. Perhaps Terry Arcus is different. Boston is um, certainly a public school person. Gonski uh, is a fence-sitter. But then you get to the next four people and you've got a representative from the independent schools of West, uh, Western Australia, a lady, and uh, an executive director from the Queensland Catholic Education Commission. Then you've got two principals, two state school principals or so-called public school principals. Now, um, the uh, person from the independent schools of Western Australia is Valerie Gould, and uh, she sits on a lot of groups that, in fact, act as um, political uh, animals that are putting pressure, lobby groups, on the federal and state governments. And she, she admits to this. She represents Western Australian independent schools on a number of state and national decision-making committees. And in all negotiations and representations, she's all, always mindful of the independence of schools in the sector and that each one's different. Uh, Dr. Lee Ann Perry, AM, is the Executive Director from the Queensland Catholic Education Commission. And prior to that, she served as the Principal of All Hallows School, Brisbane. Before that, Mount Alvernia College, Kedron, and Mount Carmel College, Wynnum. And she followed a teaching career in state and Catholic schools in New South Wales and Queensland. Uh, she has a doctorate and she served as executive member and president of the Association of Principals of Catholic Secondary Schools Queensland and the Mercy Secondary Educators Association. And she's a former governing board member of the Queensland Studies Authority. So she comes out of the Mercy tradition. Uh, yes, uh, the Mercy tradition... I suggest, having known some of the nuns in this area, uh, are very interested in the elites as opposed to the poor. The uh, less advantaged children who are not as clever as the others 
uh, made to pay the fees uh, to make sure that the school has a good reputation in this um, in this tradition. Uh, Wendy Johnson, who is a public school principal from South Australia, I've got very little information on her as yet. I don't know I do. whether you've got some. Yes, no, that, let's hear from Robert. Uh, she's very interesting. Um, she's a public school principal, um, and she um, is, is a public school principal at the Glenuga International High School, which is in South Australia. Um, and she did some rather interesting things. Um, she's basically a champion um, in terms of public school principal. She took a, a school that was doing badly, and she's turned around to do it well. It's rather interesting. And how she did it, in her own words, I think is informative as to her position when it comes to state education. Now, when she took over the school in 2008, 50% of the results at that school were below the state average, and it showed little signs of improving. Today, in 2017, enrolments are surging, as students vie for a place in what is now one of Adelaide's most elite performing schools. She's turned it around in 10 years. Now, Wendy Johnson is the principal, and so therefore takes some, um, takes some blame for this, or takes some credit for it indeed. And the way she did it was she revisioned its abilities during the time when the school was underperforming. Now, what she did was, and it's interesting, there are three popular programs at the school. There's an international baccalaureate program, an international education program, and what's called an Ignite program. However, these are just a few of the reasons why there seems to be a flow of enthusiastic students through the gates of the school. In 2010... The school took a process that involved its community of 1,400 students and families to develop a set of values that were not the kind of normal motherhood statements seen around schools. Instead, Johnson and her executive team focused on the values that their students wanted to see manifested and one of the ones that differentiated their schools from other schools. She said, from that point on, these core values became a kind of oral tradition that's passed from the older kids to the younger ones. The second factor involves the academic outcomes. We now are regularly listed as the nation's top 100 schools, having experienced a 20% lift since 2009 in our students' A and B grades. Now, this is interesting. However, she says, the thing we're most excited about is that when we started this process, our students were getting Bs and Es. Now we've almost eliminated that, not by eliminating the kids, which many schools do, but by supporting them. Now, when teachers say things like that, I go, yeah, that's, that, that's the way you do it. Private school systems, how do you get rid of your bad results? You get rid of your rubbish kids. Not from Ms. Johnson's point of view. So, yes, she succeeded probably in part by cannibalising good students from other, uh, other schools in the surrounding area because even within the state school we have a cannibalistic effect when you, a school gets a good reputation. Um, with the market, with the market view of schools. With, with, a, with a market view of schools, but internally within her school, she's actually about the improvement of the students. With, she basically says, whoever turns up, we're going to work with you. Now, that's a state school value. Now, how this translates to developing national <laughs> education uh, funding policies, I'm not quite sure, but it's interesting. She also has a very international focus, and she's quite broad-minded in terms of the way the curriculum, obviously, is, is delivered. Um, and there's lots of other things, but I think it's interesting. Um, if the running of her school success relates to getting rid of motherhood statements, um, I think maybe Gonski and her might butt heads along this process because mm. I've heard Gonski made a lot of mother... Well, actually, he's a bit more paternalistic. Yeah. A, a, a lot of fatherhood statements. Um, uh, so, I, yeah, she's seems like an interesting character, and, yes, it's, it's quite fascinating. So she's one of the state school principals... And, but there's another one, isn't there, Jane? Michael Roberts. Now, we'll let him speak for himself. We've actually got him on, um, on his own blog or website, if you like, for his school. It's a state primary school, by the look of it, at Broad Beach in Queensland. If you look on his website, you'll see that this is a, quote, independent public school. And I'm not quite sure what that means, whether or not it's you. a charter school. No, uh, I can tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, it's, we did it here in Victoria, the cool schools of the future. Right. Yeah. Um, it means that the principal is God and can hire and fire whom, whom he likes within that context. It's freed up from the strictures of, of the public service and, and it can be flexible and respond to the needs of its community, blah, blah, blah. Basically means it means you can, um, you can, um, take, take the support money away and the school sinks or swims on its own. Sounds like, um, rather than sinking, his particular school is swimming. But let's hear from Michael himself. 
Hello and welcome to 2016 at Broadbeach. My name's Michael Roberts and I've been the principal of this school for the last six years. Last year, 2015, was a record-breaking year at Broadbeach in so many respects. And in 2016, I'd like to think that we can go one better. Our goal at this school is simple, to provide the best education that we possibly can for your students. And in fact, for my student, I have a daughter here this year in Year 6. She's been here since Year 1. We take our responsibility very seriously. We set our standards very high in behaviour, in discipline, in manners and in academics. We also provide a wide range of extracurricular programs, everything from ukulele to yoga to drumming to sport. I'd really commend you on your choice of school and I'm sure that we'll be delivering wonderful things again in 2016 with the amazing staff that we have here and I wish you all the very best and I look forward to seeing you around the school. Thank you. Well, that was Michael Roberts and thank you, Michael Roberts. Uh, we'll watch uh, your performance on the Gonski 2.0 committee with uh, great interest. So there they all are. There's Gonski, Boston, and uh, Arcus, that's three. Then there are the four representatives of schools. So there's seven altogether, which means that if there is a tied vote, the chairman will be able to break it. So Actually, Jean, I'm, I'm sorry to sort of contradict you. Um, there's also O'Brien. Gonski, Boston, O'Brien and Arcus oh, are, are the four oh. non-aligned um, educational experts. Well, yes, you're right. So there's eight. Yeah, so there's eight in total. Mm. Then there's one representative of the independent schools, one representative of the Catholic Education Office and two school principals. Mm. I would point out that these school principals, they seem to be guns at running schools, but they're not professional lobbyists and they're not professional advocates. Mm. Uh, the independent schools representative, Valerie Gould, is... Ah. There's no, no, there's no AEU representative. That's my concern. Yeah, no, there's no union representative um, and there's no specific state school advocate. There are, there are state school principals and there's, and there's assumptions made about that, but there is no representative right. of the state school system. By the way, this has always been the problem. That's right. Whenever it comes to independent Catholic and state school systems, in Canberra there are deeply complex and involved lobbying groups for the independent schools, deeply complex and involved lobbying groups for the Catholic schools, but when it comes to state schools, there is no specific lobby group. There are parents' organisations, there's us here at the Dogs, there's Save Our Schools, there's people who provide information and some advocacy, but I actually have not yet met with a federal politician under any circumstances to advocate for state schools. That's not what we do, and in Canberra, that doesn't exist. Well, the Australian Education Union usually, um, well, they certainly lobby, uh, and they did get through to the Greens. The Greens did get something, but the Green, of course, who really supports public education, is Lee Rhiannon. And look what they're doing to her. Indeed. And, and the AEU, all the, all the, the AEU are not advocates for state schools. They are not. That is not their job. It's not in, they, they don't do it. They might have in the past. Yep. New South Wales Teachers Federation certainly does from time to time. But the AEU, despite, despite the views of some of the members of its council, do not lobby or advocate for state schools. Now, Tanya Pibasek has actually uh, picked up on this uh, in The Australian, of all things. She's questioned the makeup of the panel, saying that there were some very well-qualified people, but it didn't include a single current teacher and excludes representatives from half of, children of Australia's states and territories. So there's no New South Wales or Victorian person there. And it's already running three months behind. Now, the AEU Federal President, Karina Haythorpe, has also slammed the Gonski 2 reviews parameters for failing to re-examine funding. Oh. oh, yes, we haven't even begun to talk about the terms of reference, about what yeah. they're allowed to talk about, which yeah. I think we should deal with in our, in our, our programme next year. I think we're going to pause next now. Next week. Next week, next year. What am I talking <laughs> about? Of course, next week, because we're always here Please. every Saturday. Uh, let's have a little bit of music and we'll, and we'll finish off.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's good to have your company. We've been talking about the Gonski panel. We're talking about the people. We've been getting personal. But let's talk about some ideas just to finish off because Chris Bonner um, has some very interesting things to say. In a blog post, actually, on Pearls and Irritations by John Manager, just um, on the 29th of June, it's rather interesting. He says, many claims have been made about the Turnbull government's Gonski breakthrough. It seems to grant the wishes of advocates of greater equity and efficacy in the funding of schools, so much so that Chris himself had to recast the recommendations of his recent report called Losing the Game, which he wrote with the now late Bernie Shepherd. And he says, between him and Bernie, they've always stressed an urgency to support the most needy schools and the importance of a schooling resource body. At the penultimate hour, both priorities were thrown into the legislation, and we have been discussing um, the Gonski panel, and, and which will lead to potentially a school resourcing body. But, he says, the legislation is far from perfect and it's destined for future refinement. It's just a first step and the dust isn't settled. And as uh, Chris and Bonner um, demonstrated, the data about schools shows that the high hopes following the first Gonski review were simply not realised across Australia. But will it be any different this time around, he asks. Now, there is an immediate second step. Most reporting is referred to the whole package as Gonski 2.0, but Gonski's actual second review is now just getting underway, and we've outlined who's going to be doing it. And it's going to be completed not until March. Now, while the terms of reference have been, esti- have been established, we have no idea of the relationship between the review and the recent legislation. Because as we know, when governments do reviews and they have legislations and they're supposed to... If you, do, if you implement legislation and then do the review, it doesn't bode well for how serious that review is taken. So you know, if you spend the money and then work out how you're going to spend it after you've spent it already, it doesn't, it doesn't really seem to make much sense. Now, but while the focus of the review seems to be on getting better school education delivery for every dollar, it will inevitably touch on decisions already made. The efficiency and effectiveness of school education is about far more than what goes on in classrooms, and in their report, Losing the Game, raised many of these issues, including $5 billion of annual spend, which delivers very little. That $5 billion of annual spend, of course, goes to private schools. But for the moment, here are a snapshot of responses to some of what seems to have been achieved as reported in the media last week. Now, the Australian government will fund non-government schools to 80% and the government schools to 20% of their school resourcing standard. The reverse obligation lies with the states. Now, the states are supposed to fund non-government schools to 20% of their SRS, but on average, Australian state governments already provide Catholic schools with over 23% of their public funding, and in Victoria, it's 25 In the light of recent politics, can anyone see the state governments, especially Labor state governments, reducing their funding to non-government schools? Well, quite frankly, I mean, Chris is implying that that's not going to be the case, but I think, Chris, you're wrong. I think the Overton window for state governments taking money off Catholic schools plays well with the public. Might not play well with the corrupt influences of various Catholic education officers in each state, and they might get the priests up in the pulpit condemning Labor governments. But do you know what? I think a large number of people will ignore such things. Or indeed, if a priest gets up in the pulpit and says, don't vote for this because they're taking your money away, I think there's a large number of people that will say, Excuse me, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you say. Michaela might do another skit on it. Yes, indeed. <laughs> he yeah. was very clever this week. He also says the states need to fund government schools to 80%. The track record, of course, of this is that they're not doing that either. So state governments are overfunding private schools and underfunding state schools. That's what they've been doing, and there's nothing in legislation that prevents them from any doing that anymore. 
Now, some other things. In related matters, there's been much complaint about the special deal, around $50 million done for the systemic schools. There's nothing new about this. We've been doing such deals since the Golden Catholic School Strike in 1962, as Jean correct, can tell you. Correct, correct, Let's keep this $50 million in proportion. The difference between Catholic and independent schools' funding tells a real story about special deals. For in 2015, for example, per-student government funding for Catholic schools, just in the 1,099 x year range, was t- over $10,000. This was $403 more than was paid for each independent school. So Catholics are already getting more. The total dollar difference was over $200 million for just one sample school in just one year. But where was it going? Nobody really, knows. really knows. No wonder the independent schools were quite at ease with this, this, this year's deal. Mm. Other matters also just haven't gone away. The amount of public funding going to the two private sectors, Catholics and independents, has been converging and will further converge in the coming years as the effect of winding back on special deals is felt. But what will be more interesting is the extent to which government funds the two private sectors compared to the amount going to government schools. The existing situation is explained in Bonner and Shepard's Losing the Game report. It's highly likely that both private sectors will remain funded in the 85 to 100% or even more range which means we'll essentially continue with two publicly funded sectors. One, with far more obligations to the people it serves than the others, and they'll be getting the same amount of money. Take them over. Now, welcome, says Chris, to what deserves to be the next big debate. Take them over. Hmm. It is going to be the debate. The state aid debate never went away. They thought if they could talk needs, 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 which became greeds, 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 Mm. that they could divert the real issue. The real issue is we don't have any independent schools. We have dependent schools that are given special deals and we have public schools that are underfunded. And it's time they were all publicly funded public schools with a few independent schools for the wealthy. Mm, If they want to stay wealthy. You mean, you know, like the rest of the world that's not Australia. Well, um, they'll be impoverished, of course, with all the fees that they have to pay, but well, still, that's their problem. Yeah, stay wealthy or send your child to a private school, one, one or both, uh, one or either, I should say. Look, Chris Bonner actually points to something interesting, which I've been pointing to, and I think Jean has been as well, which is finally, regardless of its flaws, Chris says he must say Simon Birmingham deserves credit for the way he steered last week's legislation through, yes. the, through the media, yes. and especially through the Senate. Yes. He made herding cats look easy. Yes. In contrast, and this is the interesting bit, Catholic school authorities, especially in Victoria, and federal labour lost much of whatever moral capital they once held. Yep. Winding back the special deals and neutralising their future impact was a real achievement. Mm. Last week, when the legislation was passed, may not have been the end, but it does point to a new beginning in the debate. And as soon as Plibersec works that out, as soon as Plibersec works that out, we will find that we'll have a very interesting political landscape, which will, in the end, I think, people will come to our position. We've been standing here for over 40 years saying the same thing over and over again. No funds for private schools. At some point, I think sooner rather than later, people will realise that is not just a viable option. It is the most economically efficient option as well as being the most effective option and of course by definition it is accountable now you've been listening to the docs program here on 3cr 855 on the am dial if you're interested in what jean's been talking about with her press releases or what we've been talking about in terms of reviewing what's the landscape is for education in australia you can contact us at our website at www.adogs.info that's www.adogs.info. But until next week, from here at the Dogs, from G, myself and Dale, it's bye for now. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. Salt Lake City, just as I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm
horses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize. Went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Joe, you're ten years dead.